Ladies and gentlemen of the Ring Crew Army, welcome to a brand new episode of the Square Circle Podcast. I am your host, Marie Shadows, and I am here today to review AEW Dynamite, which was nicknamed Beach Break on February 3rd, 2021. This included the wedding ceremony between Penelope Ford and Kip Sabian. We'll get to that and everything in a moment. But first, I want to thank all the day ones, the current and the new and the new future listeners of this podcast. The Square Circle Podcast is dedicated to my super passion of professional wrestling. I have a lot of wrestling of opinions and perspectives, and I love breaking down matches and psychology behind what the wrestlers do, what they say, and everything else in between. If you guys enjoy these episodes of the Square Circle Podcast by yours truly, Marie Shadows, make sure to show me some love over on the social media side. Head over to at Marie underscore Shadows on Twitter to give me a follow and to talk about professional wrestling and even talk about this podcast episode that you probably would love. You can also sign up to the Substack newsletter community where I write professional wrestling articles. I currently have a Jay White article up there that I totally love how I wrote it. And I have some AEW content as well, a Kenny Omega article and a Yum Bucks book review as well. So head over to theringcrew.substack.com. And also... Anchor has an awesome feature. If you guys want to leave a comment, a thought, a disagreement with me, you could definitely do that as a voice message over at anchor.fm forward slash Square Circle Podcast. And the Square Circle Podcast is also on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts from. Now, the world of professional wrestling has been turned on its head once again. Apparently, we have the forbidden door open, even if... On today's BTE, which today is Monday, February 8th, even on BTE, where Matt was saying that there is no forbidden door, it's not open, and Nick is still pushing the narrative of that. We'll just have like a one to two week program with everything that's happening. You know, I don't believe anything anymore. I want to say it feels real, like something is about to go down really cool in this year of 2021. 2021 is definitely going to be a year filled of amazing professional wrestling matches, amazing professional wrestling stories, and I'm going to be here to try to cover everything. And again, guys, if you want me to continue to cover all the professional wrestling, all you have to do is just listen to this podcast and beyond. So we have doors breaking down proverbial doors breaking down, I should say. We also have New Japan Pro Wrestling giving us a real feel of what Bullet Club means and what Bullet Club actually does versus whatever is happening over in All Elite Wrestling. Now, in the last podcast episode, I mentioned how it may feel to your ears that I'm trying to create some type of divide within my podcast that is not true. It's just that New Japan Pro Wrestling definitely challenges my ability to break down matches, break down psychology. And that's all thanks to Jay White and the Bullet Club. Over in All Elite Wrestling, I'm trying to figure out why things are going the way that they're going and trying to put the pieces together. And it's a little frustrating. So that doesn't challenge me as much because there's a lot of open room for interpretation and misinterpretation as well. And also 
misinformed information and I don't want to put that out there. I always like being challenged to make sure I understand a character's motivation, a character's situation and everything else involved. That's why I gravitate towards New Japan Pro Wrestling and hang on almost everywhere that JY says, because you can definitely pinpoint his motivation, what drives him, maybe his weaknesses and stuff. But then on the other side, when it comes to all the wrestling, I could do that. I can do that. I used to do that, but now I'm trying to grab at straws in order to fill in the blanks that need to be filled in rather than me guessing. There are certain things, and this is from a writer's perspective. If you guys do not know, I do have a bachelor's degree in creative writing and I have my publishing certificate. So when I look at professional wrestling, I'm looking for story. I'm looking for things that make sense. There are a lot of things that shouldn't be left up to the fans interpretation because you as the professional wrestler playing your character on screen weekly should have some type of outline, some type of map and your go-to qualities that make your character who it is. Like if you believe that sportsmanship should be in every single match, make sure your character is doing that. If you believe that every match should have a handshake before and after, if your character believes that, go and do that. If your character believes in playing dirty and playing unfair and has reasons why they do this, so that way they could pick up victories, so that way they could move up the ranks, so that way they could eventually get a title shot. Make it believable, make it part of your character. Make sure that whatever your character does, it has conviction. It should not be left up to me, the viewer, to fill in those necessary spots where you need to do it. If you don't want to do it, then just say that you're a professional wrestler and all you're going to do is have professional wrestling matches and there's nothing exciting about you at all. But yeah, from a writer's perspective and from a reader's perspective, because I do like reading books, there are just certain things that you can allow the fans to have room for interpretation. And then there's certain things that you need to know hands down. This is what your character is. If your character betrays the quality that you want people to be convinced about, you better have a good reason why your character suddenly wanted to go a different route. If it's believable, the fans will be right there with you. If it's not, fans these days will still try to convince themselves and the world why it makes sense when it doesn't make sense. So that just sets up the tone for AEW Dynamite Beach Break because lately I've been finding it hard to keep up with a company that I severely love, a company that I severely want to work for. I honestly want to work for AEW. And that's only to help them prioritize who gets to be on AEW Dynamite, what stories need to be progressed, how much needs to be progressed. Like there's a lot of things that need more tidying up and stuff to just make sense for a two hour show to be great every week. AEW is great, but then when you really look at it and see the flaws, there's just some lacking in those spaces. And again, I'm not trying to create a divide within my own podcast and what I feel in general. It's just that 
I want AEW to succeed. I want AEW to stay around for years to come. And I'm not saying that they're going to go downhill. They're doing pretty well for themselves. They open up this proverbial door. They're working with New Japan Pro Wrestling, but we're going to get to that in a moment. They're working with indie stars. I get it. They're working with everybody. But sometimes you need to have a priority to make sure that AEW Dynamite is dynamite every single week and dynamite makes sense if you're gonna send guys over to impact wrestling that's amazing too please send the women over to impact wrestling as well diana perrazzo needs some new competition as she is the knockouts champion like send her some competition I do these podcast episodes and especially breaking down AEW the way that I do is because I love those guys. I know that they have all the potential in the world and they have all the great ideas in the world. Well, hold up. Not all the great ideas in the world, but they have some really good ideas that can come to light. And all I'm doing here in my podcast is giving them constructive criticism. And I always have some type of solution, whether it's small medium or large, to help them transform their show even better. I don't even know if they listen to this podcast, but it'll be great if they do. And it'll be great if they could check their DMs. Anyway, AEW Dynamite Beach Break starts off with the Tag Team Battle Royale. Thank God that thing started the show off first, because originally I thought that the wedding between Penelope and Kip Sabian was going to start it off and it was going to be extremely cheesy and stupid. And yeah, I wasn't going to, I was probably going to skip it. That's just me being truthful here, guys. Me being truthful. Anyway, so I did not write all those notes about what happened in the ring, who did what, who did this. I do know that the Good Brothers eliminated Private Party. The Good Brothers were not involved in the match. They were not signed for the match. So for them interfering is wrong there should have been some type of repercussions and this is where i want to do a comparison between aew and new japan pro wrestling so in my previous podcast episode i reviewed the 10-man tag elimination in new japan pro wrestling the row two series and Sometimes the opponents will be on the wrong side of the ring, meaning that they'll be in either the blue corner or the red corner. But when it comes to elimination, some of the wrestlers will hold down the top rope so that way their opponent could get eliminated and the other guys could get an advantage. So obviously there's some shades to New Japan Pro Wrestling elimination styles to in AEW, especially when the Good Brothers pulled down the rope for Isaiah Cassidy to come over and become eliminated. Now, however, that elimination should have never counted. That elimination meant nothing. Well, to me, it means nothing. But it happened. The referees called it and the referees enforced the rules at their discretion. The Good Brothers were not signed in the match. They had no business being out there, but they were out there to try to help protect the AEW Tag Team Champions, the Young Bucks, but then that didn't work as well. And also we know that upcoming on Impact at No Surrender, it will be the Good Brothers versus Private Party, which is going to be a very interesting matchup as well. But what I wanted to make the comparison about is that Jay White went on his rant 
in the double standard promo and was saying that if he did this, if he did that, he would get suspended. He would get reprimanded. He would have something against him because he broke a rule that New Japan Pro Wrestling was like, you can't break this rule. Don't even try it. However, in this aspect in AEW during the tag team battle royale tournament, there was no fire. There was no attack of the good brothers that Isaiah Cassidy could have did regardless if he would have got beat down really bad there was no backstage comments there was no mini little video to put on Twitter to create some type of social media content where Isaiah Cassidy was like how dare the good brothers do this you know I should have never been eliminated Isaiah Cassidy should have probably went to Matt Hardy and be like yo you can't have this happen we gotta get this straightened out you know, just some type of intensity, some type of anger that can come from these young kids because of, because essentially the Good Brothers are contracted to Impact Wrestling. Why are you allowing Impact Wrestlers to take over AEW when it's not their yard, where it's not their company? Like you as an AEW employee, as a wrestler, need to stand your ground. It doesn't matter if the Good Brothers are there because Don Callis is there or they're friends with the Young Bucks or they're friends with Kenny Omega. Like in the real world, if you cross over into someone else's territory and you want to try to make your mark by doing something that you're not contracted to, no. Isaiah Cassidy and Mark Quinn of Private Party should have never stood for that. And Matt Hardy being money Matt Hardy should have never stood for that. Matt Hardy should have definitely invoked some type of lawyer thing going on to progress this story and to progress their angle when it comes to their tag match coming up in Impact. Like, wouldn't that make any sense? That will make a lot of sense if they really would have had some fiery promo done and you know you get to see the passion in their eyes because Isaiah Cassidy and Mark Quinn were the probably the second tag team signed to all elite wrestling and you know there's no fire or passion from them when it comes to knowing that Doc Gallows and Carl Anderson are walking around AEW backstage like it's nothing and then to pull that tactic on them by pulling the ring rope down to have Isaiah eliminated. And there's no pissed off promo that comes after that. That was definitely a loss to building character, to building stories, to get the fans comfortable with cheering for Private Party. Because yeah, Private Party can pull out all the moves. Private Party is great. Private Party is a New York-based tag team, and they've done it all. But have they improved on their promos? Have they improved on increasing their fan base? I personally don't think so. And this is a missed opportunity, and this is what I'm talking about, that sometimes AEW gets me a little frustrated because they miss these opportunities. And I don't know if anyone brings it up to them to be like, hey, we can't keep missing these opportunities. We have to make stars. And yes, AEW does make stars and they prove it. However, they miss opportunities. These indie wrestlers need to remember that content is king and everybody is glued to their phones. Everyone is glued to their social media. Everyone is glued to all the platforms. And if you're not going to have some type of connection with your fans, then what's the point? 
You could have just stayed on the indie circuit. And that sounds like so harsh. But this is the kind of stuff that gets me a little bit frustrated. That missed opportunities are there. Whether or not they have a huge team, you know, no one is really trying to be like, hey, we got to do this. We got to do that. You know, oh, this happened to you this week. All right. So we got to film something to move along that story, to progress that story, because then the buildup is just going to be lackluster and you can't have that in professional wrestling. We shouldn't be having lackluster buildups. If you really love this business and love what you do you will put the work in and the work isn't just let me train in the ring. Let me get these big ass muscles. Let me tell you that I could bench press a thousand fucking pounds. It's not that doing the work means that you work on your psychology. You work on your timing. You work on your promos. You work on your content building skills because right now you have a job in a global pandemic And while we can't really do 100% of the stuff that we used to, you can still use social media to your advantage. You can still film at home and make these amazing promos and just work on skills that you may feel like you lack. And if you don't know what you lack, you can definitely tag me at Marie underscore shadows. And I would definitely tell you what you lack in the world of professional wrestling. I just like helping out wrestlers and stories and companies to the best of my ability because I can see from the outside what's missing and sometimes you might need that and this was definitely a missed opportunity especially for Matt Hardy being money Matt Hardy and he's always hungry about the next opportunity and where to get the next money and always charging Isaiah Cassidy and Mark Quinn way more in his helping fees than he needs to his manager fees than he needs to I should say so this was definitely a complete miss and I'm surprised that we're not really talking about it anyway aside from that I want to quickly mention that MJF eliminated both Matt and Nick Jackson from this battle royale tournament I don't know what kind of stories are going to evolve from that, but that's a pretty interesting thing that happened. MJF is such an opportunist that he would definitely eliminate anyone and everyone. So we'll see what happens between that. So now we get down to MJF and Jericho, Sammy, Jungle Boy, Darius Martin, and Max Caster. They are the last people in this match and they all fight it out and the winners of this tag team battle royale is Jericho and MJF and again I want to quickly talk about a another loss opportunity and that is this whole Sammy Guevara and MJF feud it's going way too slow way too slow because you can definitely see that there needs to be some type of match. And I'm not saying that when they have this match, it should be over because these guys can definitely tell one hell of a story. My main problem with it is that I feel like we're going around in circles. Everyone on the outside can see that MJF is teasing Sammy Guevara and doing the things that he does. And when Sammy gets upset, you know, Jake and everyone else comes in and they're like, no, no, calm down, calm down. And it's like, How much longer are you guys going to treat him like a little kid rather than letting him do what he needs to do and explode on MJF? Again, double standards, what Jay White always talks about. 
the double standards in this one is that MJF is allowed to pretend and say whatever he wants. And sometimes his delivery is definitely a disrespectful tone, definitely a disrespectful storyline antic. And the moment that Sammy gets super upset, they tell him to calm down. So you have one angry person and you have one calm person and they're doing the same thing because they're throwing insults at each other. But you tell the angry one to calm down and the, and the calm one doesn't get no repercussions. When is Sammy Guevara going to face MJF? When is Sammy Guevara going to make this feud pop? Because right now, MJF is taking his sweet time and MJF is playing these mind games. And, you know, it's for Sammy to take the lead on this feud. That's how I see it. Because Sammy Guevara right now, his character is not a chess player. It's not a methodical player at all. When he feuded with Matt Hardy, it was him leading the charge. It was him doing the angry stuff and making sure that the story is moving along while Matt Hardy is like, all right, let's just go with it. In this situation with him and MJF, MJF is the smarter one, so he'll get under his skin faster. And MJF will hope that Sammy Guevara trips up and MJF will definitely take the opportunity there because Sammy is such a hothead. But then again, Sammy has amazing ability in the ring. So eventually he might end up coming out on top on MJF. Why are we not having a series of MJF versus Sammy Guevara matches? Why are we still focusing on tag team matches that don't make sense for the inner circle? Now, I do like when tag teams form, but essentially Santana and Ortiz should be the official tag team of the inner circle. There shouldn't really be any other tag teams. We should definitely... We should really be seeing Sammy Guevara versus MJF in a series of matches. And that will make this feud way better instead of just talking. Eventually, they're going to have to have a match. When? I don't know. But again, another lost opportunity for any type of social media content to move this along. This is what's really bothering me about AEW is that I get it. There's only so many hours in a day and then sometimes you get exhausted and you want to, you know, go home and relax. I totally get it. But if you really want to make people remember your greatness and your legacy, do the work by just doing simple, maybe 90 second fucking promos or 90 second things where you explain why, you know, you're upset with somebody or, you know, you just move the story along, move the story along. So because MJF and Jericho won that tag team battle royale match, they will be facing the Young Bucks. I'm guessing that revolution. You guys might need to correct me on that. Next, we get an in-ring interview with Darby Allen and Sting. Tony Schiavone is there. This, again, I don't know. I'm all for the street fight that's coming up at Revolution. We all know it's going to be a cinematic match, which I have no problem with. But again, this is just one of those things where it's like, it's so muddy. It just doesn't make any sense anymore, but I'm just going to go along with it. I enjoy Taz on the mic, so I can't really like badmouth this. The other thing too is that next week we will have Darby Allen face Joey Janela for the TNT Championship. And that's all I'm going to say about that. And then we get the women's match. 
Thank God the women's match is not second to last on the card like it always is. This is Britt Baker versus Thunder Rosa. A phenomenal match. So here are my notes because I know you guys love my wrestling notes. It's definitely a quick start, a submission by Rosa on Britt. There is a arm drag into a wrist lock, wrist control by Britt. Britt is doing very good in her training, especially maintaining wrist control. There is a running dropkick to Britt, then a senton to Britt by Thunder Rosa. Britt ties up Rosa in the ropes and then kick Rosa in the face. Britt and Rosa wrestle on the outside. Thunder Rosa throws Britt into the guardrail. Then she whips Britt's right hand into the ring post. And Thunder Rosa focuses on Britt Baker's right hand. This is psychology, ladies and gentlemen. We all know that Britt Baker puts on the glove and then does the mandible claw. I will not attempt to say the medical term of where she pushes down on your tongue because that's going to end horribly. But because Thunder Rosa is focusing on that right hand, it will definitely make it harder to put enough strength into the mandible claw when Britt Baker gets ready to do her finisher. And this is what's sort of lost sometimes in wrestling is when you focus on a specific body part and you want to make sure that your opponent cannot use that specific body part in whatever finisher they have. So Thunder Rosa is definitely smart in the ring. So is Britt Baker. So I appreciate this so much. Britt then lays in some stiff shots to Thunder Rosa. There is a swinging fisherman suplex by Britt to Thunder Rosa, the Death Valley driver from Thunder Rosa to Britt Baker. There's a lot of smart wrestling happening around. There is a running stomp to Thunder Rosa, then a crucifix, and Rosa kicks out of that. Britt tried for the lock job, but Thunder Rosa countered that. There is a back suplex to Britt from Thunder Rosa, the Death Valley driver to Britt by Rosa, Rebel takes out one of the turnbuckles and it was definitely used by Britt Baker on Thunder Rosa as Britt sent Thunder Rosa face first into that exposed turnbuckle. This knocked out Thunder Rosa and it allowed for Britt Baker to use the lockjaw finisher on Thunder Rosa. So Britt Baker picks up the victory over Thunder Rosa. And now we get a tag team match. It is... Serpentico and Luther taking on the first ever tag teaming of Hangman Adam Page and Matt Hardy. Now, Hangman Adam Page has all the talent in the world. He is super creative. He is a really good worker. And I love watching Hangman Adam Page in the ring. He's really good. He can tell a really good story. However, I am not as enthusiastic about talking about this match as I should be. You know, I always love supporting the wrestlers that I can follow, the wrestlers that put in the work and the wrestlers that make me believe in their character 100%. I will always praise Hangman Adam Page. I will always praise Kenny Omega. And I will always praise Jay White. Those three guys can definitely tell some really good stories. There are some honorable mentions as well, but for now, these are the top three that I love to talk about, that I love to break down their matches and their psychology. Again, it's Hangman, Kenny, and Jay White. But when the graphic came out that Hangman Adam Page was teaming up with Matt Hardy, and Matt Hardy, if you ever listen to my podcast, this has nothing to do with you, and it has 
nothing against you personally, but I immediately thought that when I saw this graphic of the both of them teaming up, that Hangman Adam Page himself did not know what else to do with his character and this whole Dark Order situation and how to get out of his rut. I remember reading on Twitter that someone said that Hangman Adam Page needs to hit rock bottom first. He's already at rock bottom. What do you mean he has to hit rock bottom? How do you hit rock bottom if you're already at rock bottom? Let me explain to you guys how Adam Page is at rock bottom right now. After his match against Kenny Omega, and he did not get the victory over Kenny Omega, that was it. That was his rock bottom. He could not defeat his demons. He could not get over it. And now he's in limbo. He's floating around as if like he doesn't have direction on how to get out from this. And it kind of frustrates me because it was a really good story between him and Kenny and him and the Young Bucks and him and FTR and him fucking up and doubting himself because he felt like he never belonged in any of the circles that he's always been. His story is that he's a cowboy and usually cowboys are loners, even if sometimes they want to be with a group. But then again, you know, if he joined the Dark Order, he wouldn't have to necessarily be with them 24-7. That's the thing. When he was with the Elite, he thought he had to be with them 24-7. He tried getting out of the Elite. The Elite was like, no, man, you're not leaving. What are you talking about? This is a family. So he stood with them, even if it hurt him in the end. So ever since he got wronged by all of his supposed friends, he hasn't gone back to get revenge on any of them, which is kind of weird. It's like if a friend wronged you, even though you think that you've wronged them and you think that you're the asshole, but if you're not going to get revenge on them, then what's the point of this slow build to try to get back to glory and maybe become AEW world champion. You know, all the females that are on Twitter, they're all swooning over this and they all want Hangman Adam Page to be happy. And they say it a million times and, you know, AEW is stringing us along, but they're not giving us anything. You can't string us along. Make us feel sympathy for him because in the end, it's only going to backfire on Hangman Adam Page to the point where people are not going to really care. And I'm up to that limit. I'm up to that limit of I'm starting not to care, but I want to watch because I want to see Hangman Adam Page turn over a new leaf. And Hangman Adam Page digging deep down inside and getting into that Hangman persona because I bet that no one really knows where that Hangman persona came from. I don't even think... Hangman himself knows where Hangman came from other than when he got interviewed, he said that he only came up with the Hangman persona in Ring of Honor because there were two Adams. There's Adam Cole and then there was Adam Page. So in order to not confuse the two wrestlers, he decided to call himself Hangman and he used to come out with a noose in Ring of Honor and also in New Japan Pro Wrestling when New Japan Pro Wrestling and Ring of Honor had the the excursion deal and Adam Page was definitely a New Japan Pro Wrestling guys and he was wrestling there and he created the persona because he did not want to get confused for Adam Cole whenever the bookers were like hey we want to book you but you know which Adam are we really booking you know that type of thing so as far as I know 
there's not too much deep lore about this hangman character. We do know that on being the elite, the hangman character would talk to his cowboy shoes. He murdered someone on BTE. So, you know, why are those little quirks not playing a factor in bringing to life the hangman? Why is that not happening? See, this is why I'm a writer by trade, because the persona of hangman Adam Page truly intrigues me. And I want nothing but the best for this guy. He's super creative, but sometimes you might need an outside source that can see more grander than you about your character, can make it go a little bit further. This is why I'm saying for those that I have texted via DMs, make sure to check your DMs. But back to Hangman Adam Page and Matt Hardy. Hangman Adam Page needs to start getting revenge on the ones that wronged him. He didn't even go after FTR. He could have went after them in singles competition to show that he's the best, but he didn't go after FTR when FTR screwed him the worst by getting into his head, by manipulating him. And in turn, Hangman betrayed the Young Bucks. So that way the Young Bucks would not face Hangman Adam Page and Kenny Omega. If you guys want to go back in my catalog, I did a deep analysis called All Out of Elite, where I go into deep details. And if I was in Hangman Adam Page's shoes, I probably would have betray the young bucks too if i was tag team with kenny and the tag team champions because it's like why do i want to wrestle you again so hangman was 100 in the right when he did that however if you really think about it it was really a cowardly move but it was manipulated by ftr and hangman adam page has yet to get his revenge on FTR. Hangman Adam Page has yet to get his revenge on the young bucks because the young bucks keep Kenny Omega in such a high regard that, you know, Hangman was just there. And Hangman hasn't even got his revenge on Brandon Cutler. That's right. So I'm throwing Brandon Cutler in here because if you guys watch BTE, there were a couple of episodes on Being the Elite where it was Hangman and Brandon Cutler and Brandon Cutler trying to be the voice of reason to Hangman Adam Page. But Hangman Adam Page was just trying to warn Brandon Cutler because Young Bucks was never there for him for his big title matches and when the opportunity came around for Brandon to ask the Young Bucks to be at his corner they started to do the same thing and then finally when they got a bit of a moment where they weren't in meetings and they had the time they went out there to cheer for Brandon Cutler and Brandon Cutler got his first victory over Peter Avalon which in my opinion Peter Avalon should have got the first victory over Brandon Cutler but that's just my thing about it maybe one day I'll talk about it on the podcast of why I think it should always be Peter Avalon over Brandon Cutler but regardless of that, Hangman Adam Page didn't get his revenge on Brandon Cutler. They haven't talked since. They haven't had a bit on BTE to talk about this thing. There's no more story-esque stuff on BTE. There's a little bit here and there, but mostly it's bits. And if they're losing ideas, guys, I'm not doing anything at home. So, you know, I can help you guys with that too. And then the last thing, 
Hangman Adam Page has not gotten his revenge over Kenny Omega. Right now, there's the story of Moxley going after Kenny Omega to get the AEW championship back. And yeah, you know what? I'll spoil it here. Kenta arrived at AEW and Kenta took out John Moxley. So now John Moxley has to worry about Kenta because both of them will be facing each other at New Japan Strong, which is in the LA Dojo that we have here in the United States. He'll be facing him on February 26th for the IWGP United States Championship. And I really hope that Kenta beats John Moxley and takes the IWGP United States Championship back home to Japan and back home to the Rio Bullet Club. So because John Moxley is tied up in these feuds, how is he really going to prepare and how is he really going to stay motivated and how is he really going to try to defeat Kenny Omega one of these days? He can't. So this would be a perfect time for Hangman Adam Page to start righting his wrongs, to stop doubting himself and to start winning matches and to tell people to fuck off and head to the top of the rankings and challenge Kenny Omega. Because right now, Kenny Omega is the king of AEW. He holds the AEW World Championship. And your best friend just burned you. And you're tag teaming with Matt Hardy because he convinced you that you need happiness. He convinced you that... Serpentico and Luther ruined Negative One's birthday. Therefore, we must team up and be heroes and right that wrong. No, that's not story progression. That's a lot of time being wasted. That's a lot of ideas being wasted because we have these fillers. If anyone watches anime out there, especially when the anime comes over to the States, Sometimes over in Japan, they're not done with the new episodes, so they give us filler content. Hangman Adam Page, as much as I love you, as much as I support you, stop giving us filler stuff. However, I would like to say, though, that I hope the AEW faithful are watching closely about Hangman Adam Page because two weeks ago, he fought... Ryan Nemeth, who is the brother to Dolph Ziggler. And I was like, why does that need to take place? Why? You know, how does that move Hangman Adam Page's story along? Honestly, it doesn't. But there is one tiny prop I want to give to Hangman Adam Page in that match. Did you guys notice that the intensity was coming out of Hangman Adam Page when he grabbed Ryan Nemeth's throat? Normally, Hankman Adam Page does not do that kind of aggressive attacks towards his opponent. Sure, he could get a little bit aggressive, a little bit of a strong style here and there with his attacks, but he's never going to grab you by the neck to try to suggest maybe a choke slam or just to try to choke you out. He won't do that. Something in that match sort of pushed him to that limit in order to do it. And I was really excited and I popped for it because I thought we were going to get a super hangman heel turn or some type of new layer 
to the Hangman Adam Page character because I was really out of character. Like I was talking about earlier in this podcast that there are certain convictions that you as your character that you play weekly on television that you have to probably stick by the rules of life that you live by, you know, and grabbing someone by the neck is not in Hangman Adam Page's character at all. So when that was different, I was like, oh, here we go. Here we go. We're finally going to get the Hangman Adam Page that we all need to get, whether or not you want to call him a heel or anti-heel or whatever, but he needs to have that aggressiveness in order for him to get the AEW World Championship because we all know that Kenny Omega would do everything and anything to keep that title around his waist. And... By Hangman showing this little aggressive side, Hangman needs the same mentality too. Because if not, Hangman is never going to hold that championship title. He's always going to hold himself down. And that is his 100% weakness. He holds himself down because he thinks he's not good enough. But he is one of the best in the ring. He just needs to tighten up some stuff. And if you guys want some more deep lore and story of how all these things are connected, if you guys go back to 2018... It was at New Japan Pro Wrestling Strong Style Evolved. It was Jay White taking on Hangman Adam Page for the IWGP United States Championship. If you guys go to that press conference and Hangman Adam Page was so patriotic in his promo that when it came time for Jay White to have his promo, Jay White destroyed Hangman Adam Page in that promo before the match and everything that Jay White said is completely true even now in the present. Hangman Adam Page hasn't evolved into his own man where he takes what he wants and does what he needs to do and still tries to look for the approval of others. That is what Jay White was talking about in that press conference back in 2018 when they were going to fight for the championship title for New Japan Pro Wrestling. That according to Jay White that Hangman Adam Page looks for all these approval and he's still in the shadow of everyone else. That's like a different paraphrasing of it, but you get the idea. Hangman hasn't really evolved into his own because he keeps looking for approval. He keeps looking for something that I don't even think he knows what he's looking for. And this whole entire thing is a rant about Hangman Adam Page, but I so care about this guy. I so care about his character and I don't want to have the feeling of, oh, look, it's Hangman. Like, what is he going to do? There needs to be something, something different where he can evolve, where he can adapt. Right now, he's not doing any of that stuff. He's not becoming a smarter wrestler. He's using his emotions, but half the time it's like, you got to sit down and think about everything that's happened and plan out how you want to be perceived and eventually win the big one. Because we're in this business to win championships and that's about it. And I really hope that those that are listening to this long rant about Hangman Adam Page can see where I'm coming from because I still support him. I still love watching him wrestle. I still want to know what he does next because I know he's going to be the next big thing. He currently lost a lot of momentum. And I don't understand this about AEW that... 
There are certain guys in AEW that do really well and then all of a sudden they lose their momentum. And then it's hard for them to get back into the mix because you guys keep hiring all these wrestlers, but you don't hire any extra personnel to try to even it out and try to be like, all right, so priority is this. And then this is second priority and, and stuff like that. You know, I don't know anything on the inside. I don't push the envelope if I need to talk to one of these guys or make sure that their day is going fine and they know that someone out there is, you know, wishing them well and, you know, to brighten their day. I don't ask for any backstage stuff like any other wrestling journalist out there. No, I give you my commentary of what I see on the surface and as an outsider, but I know so much about wrestling and how it relates to writing characters and how it relates to, you know, a reader picking up a book and being like, Hey, this character is great. Like that's what I do. And this is why I love talking about this. And I spent a pretty good while on hangman Adam page because I care about this guy. I care about his momentum. He had the perfect momentum and it died. And we as fans are not trying to push him to be like, hey, you know, why is your character not evolving? Why are you still drinking? Why are you still at the bottom of the barrel? When are you going to say fuck you to everyone else and start being Hangman Adam Page? Seriously, when is that going to happen? I really want to know when because everyone else is getting a spotlight and Adam Page is still in the fucking shadows. And Adam Page has not come out from the shadows since. As far as I'm concerned with this tag match with him and Matt Hardy taking on Serpentico and Luther, I will not go through my notes for this match. Just know that Hangman Adam Page and Matt Hardy won this match. Hangman Adam Page did the buckshot lariat. In comes the blind tag from Matt Hardy. Matt Hardy gets the pin one, two, three, and Heyman Anna Page is not happy with that decision. Next, we get the wedding of Penelope Ford and Kip Sabian. This was a very nice little wedding. I thought it was going to be cheesy, like I said in the beginning. We have Father James Mitchell there to get them married. Now, you know... Whenever Father James Mitchell is around, uh, things happen. You know, impact? Yeah. Uh, Johnny E. Bravo got shot when Father James Mitchell was there. Luckily, no one got shot and luckily no one got hurt or anything else of that matter. So it was a very interesting wedding. Congratulations to Penelope Ford and Kip Saving for tying the knot. Next, we move on to Eddie Kingston versus Lance Archer. This is a lumberjack match. It was chaotic. The winner of this match was Lance Archer. He picks up the victory. Now we get a backstage segment where FTR and Tully Blanchard are talking about the stuff that happened previously. And then they show that they kidnapped Marco. The wrestling world was definitely not talking about FTR kidnapping Marco. That's a very interesting storyline. That should have priority. FTR is one of the best tag teams that I love watching. And they once again lost their momentum when they went against the Young Bucks and they lost against the Young Bucks. We got to keep the ball rolling, man. We got to make sure things are consistent and things are front and center. 
Next, we get a tag team match. Kenny Omega is our AEW World Champion, teaming up with the Impact Tag Team Champions, the Good Brothers, Doc Gallows and Carl Anderson, taking on the team of John Moxley, Ray Phoenix, and Pac. This was an amazing, 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 amazing match. Every single competitor in this match is really athletic and put on one hell of a tag team match. So quickly for my notes, Pac and Anderson start things off first. It's very athletic, very pure athleticism from both of them. Then it's Mox versus Gallows. Big forearms and Gallows had the right hand, so it stuns John Moxley. There's a bunch of standing moonsaults. The fake Bullet Club doing tag team moves. There was a rolling German from Pac onto Kenny. Moxley taking out the Good Brothers with a Tope Suicida and then throws Kenny Omega into the guardrail. There is the gun stun to John Moxley by Carl Anderson. Then Fake Bullet Club is focusing on John Moxley. And then Don Callis is also on commentary and he's mentioning very heavily that John Moxley is not focusing on getting tags and tagging out, that John Moxley is a loner and Eventually, John Moxley needs to tag out. Then we get Ray Phoenix into the match, and he has his fiery comeback. Phoenix and Pac are doing moonsaults to the Good Brothers on the outside. There is a cutter to Kenny by Phoenix. Then Kenny does the Snapdragon to Phoenix. Big boot to Phoenix by Gallows. Some stiff kicks to Gallows. There's a super kick to Gallows on Pac. Then there is the triple attack on Pac by all three, Kenny Omega, Doc Gallows, and Carl Anderson. Kenny Omega then does a V-trigger to Pac. Then the triple combo onto Kenny Omega. There's a German with a bridge combo by Pac to Kenny. Kenny kicks out of that. There is a 450 on Kenny that Pac does from the top rope when Kenny covers John Moxley. That move had to hurt. Now we get down to the part of the match where everything feels completely urgent. These guys are throwing hands at each other, doing finishers to each other, until finally Doc Gallows and Carl Anderson do the magic killer to Ray Phoenix, and Doc Gallows gets the pin over on Phoenix while Kenny Omega does the V-trigger to Pac. So... Kenny Omega and the Good Brothers win this tag team match. Now there is a post-match brawl where the Good Brothers and Kenny Omega are attacking John Moxley and out comes Lance Archer to help John Moxley and clears the ring. However, this is where the internet broke. This is where wrestling again turned on its head and that was the arrival of Kenta to AEW Dynamite Programming, where he took out John Moxley. On commentary, you could definitely hear the pleasing chuckles of Don Callis, because it seemed like maybe Don Callis had a hand in this. I don't know. But it was also seen that Kenny Omega was happy and smiling that Kenta did this for him. And during the AEW exclusive, Kenny Omega went to go confront Kenta and basically said a line that my ears are not used to. 
He said that brother Switchblade didn't tell him that Kenta was coming to AEW. And that's a very weird phrase, brother Switchblade. Like, I'm all good for King Switch and King Switchblade and Jay White and Switchblade and Breathe with the Switchblade. But brother Switchblade is on a whole nother level. And yeah, you know, these guys do talk to each other. But then again, I think this was eventually going to happen anyway, where we will see Kenta versus John Moxley for the IWGP United States Championship, only because John Moxley has not defended that belt within a year due to us being in COVID. So as Kenny Omega confronts Kenta about this, Kenta just tells him to shut the fuck up and that he didn't do it because of him. He didn't he did it because he needed to face Moxley. You know, he's just here to beat up John Moxley. And Kenny Omega was like, oh, that's great. So Kenny Omega thinks that there is an alliance. Probably there is. And we all know that we want this alliance to happen. So next week on AW Dynamite, it will be real Bullet Club member Kenta teaming up with former Bullet Club leader Kenny Omega, who is the AEW world champion taking on the IWGP United States champion, John Moxley, and former AEW world champion with Lance Archer, who is a former IWGP United States champion as well. So that's going to be one hell of a match next week, and I will definitely break it down for you guys. I would definitely be talking about that match in particular. But for right now, the main question that needs to be answered is, is the door knocked down? And I will have to side with Tamatanga. If you guys were not there on Saturday, this past Saturday at Thomas Island, which is his podcast that he has on Twitch, where he talks a lot of shit, but I understand where he's coming from. So I can't be mad at him, but he talks a lot of shit and he's good at that too. Uh, So I appreciate that. Anyway, so on his podcast on Thomas Island, he basically said that the door is cracked open a little bit. And I believe him when he says that because not every guy has the open ability to go from this company to that company unless their contract has some type of clause where they are supposed to do that, where they can do that. The only reason why this is happening is because John Moxley either needs to get rid of the belt or defend it. And now that we have better rules and guidelines during COVID, it makes a lot of sense to happen now rather than happen back in 2020. And also Kenta is an ambassador for New Japan Pro Wrestling, especially when it comes to their LA dojos and the other dojos. So, you know, they go and help the young boys there. And it was just really great opportunity to happen. But let me just put things into perspective. Kenta wasn't the one that kicked down the door when he arrived on AEW Dynamite soil. John Moxley threw the first stone. John Moxley went over to New Japan Strong, went over to the LA Dojo and attacked Kenta and even said we could do this at any time, meaning that that match was already set up. So the internet world of professional wrestling rejoiced when the door was kicked down when Kenta came on television programming. But you guys got to remember, if you sign up for the New Japan World subscription, you guys will be in the know way before anyone else. I got my subscription back. 
so that way I could do these podcast episodes and talk about both New Japan Pro Wrestling and All Elite Wrestling. So you guys might want to do that too, so that way you could be in the know and not just be like, hey, Kenta broke down the proverbial door when originally it was John Moxley. John Moxley is like the fucking thread for these domino effects that are happening, which is really great and awesome. But, you know, me as a fan and loving all this, I'm just here for the action and I'm here for the ride along. I don't really like to make really bold predictions and just say stuff out the ass like most people on Twitter would do. But I will say that I don't see other members of Bullet Club coming over to AEW unless like they really work out something with the New Japan management. And I don't see that anytime soon because New Japan is really strict on their COVID rules. So like... In the event that they send over like Tamatanga and Tangaloa over to AEW for some odd reason, when they return, they will have to be in quarantine for like two weeks, even if they tested negative. Like, I believe Chase Owens is doing that. Chase Owens is in the dojo and he's been there uh, for a good couple of days, even though he tested negative for COVID. But Japan is really strict on that. So that way COVID doesn't spread. And the only reason why I know this is because Chase has a Twitch account and, you know, I stop by and I say hi to him on Twitch because I feel bad that he's in a really cramped freaking room. But, you know, just to keep him company on stream. And if you guys head over to his Twitch, which is Crown Jewel BC at Twitch, and if you subscribe to his Twitch channel, if we get up to 200 subscribers, he will have Jay White on there doing a Q&A. Who does not want Jay White on a Twitch channel doing Q&A? That would be great. So if you guys want to help us out with that, you guys could definitely do that and show some support to the Real Bullet Club over at New Japan Pro Wrestling. All right, ladies and gentlemen. That is everything from AEW Dynamite Beach Break that debuted on February 3rd, 2021. This is a really long podcast episode only because I deeply, again, I deeply care about Hangman Adam Page. I deeply care about the stories. I deeply care about professional wrestling. And if you understand my passion and where I'm coming from, all I need you to do is just to support this podcast. And I know you're wondering how you can support this podcast. Again, ladies and gentlemen, this is the Square Circle Podcast. I am your host, Marie Shadows. You can find me on Twitter at Marie underscore Shadows. You can definitely sign up to the Substack newsletter at theringcrew.substack.com. And if you guys want to leave me a voice message, anchor.fm forward slash Square Circle Podcast is the best place to do that. You guys can definitely leave me your comments on Twitter, on the voice message on anchor.fm. I always love to hear other people's opinions and maybe perspectives and maybe what you think can change my idea about something in professional wrestling. As long as we have a really good means of communication where there is no insults or anything, you know, it's going to be a good time talking about professional wrestling. Once again, this is the Square Circle Podcast. I am your host, Marie Shadows, and I'll see you guys on the next one.